So everybody can uh, be seated if you would like. We're just going to get going into this sermon. Sorry, that was a weird, that was a weird transition. How's everybody doing? We okay? Good. Uh, I do actually want to ask how you're doing because this is our third week uh, talking about Samson, and and I do just want to check in. This is the last week we're going to talk about Samson, but is everybody okay? Because um, Samson's a lot, right? He's a heavy person to hang out with. Uh, I know this. I've been hanging out with Samson for a very long time now. He's probably been in my head. This is three weeks now. Before that, like a month of prep, and 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 he's just an intense person to hang around. And uh, so I understand if like, and this would be good if after this service you just need to shake Samson off a little bit, because um, this is a pretty heavy story. And I know that we all have heavy lives. Like you work in places and you just have your own stuff, and I understand that you come to church on a Sunday, and you're like, I'd prefer not to hear about people setting each other on fire, and yet that is most of the stories that we're hearing. Um, so I, I get that, uh, I, I understand that, and uh, we will return you to your regularly scheduled programming, but there is a time and place for this, but I understand why you want to avoid it. Uh, I, I want to avoid it too sometimes. Um, this is a true story. A few years back, there was a movie that was very popular amongst my non-Christian friend circle, and they all came up to me and they were said, you gotta see this movie. And I was like, what's this movie about? It was like, it stars Ethan Hawke, and it's about a sad pastor who is underpaid and unappreciated, and you should watch it. And I'm like, why? Why should I watch that? What happens? And they're like, nothing, he dies. And I'm like, I... Don't think I'm going to watch that movie, thank you. I think I will devote my relaxing time to watching people make desserts. That seems way more fun. Um, so I understand if we're going to go there, but we're going to uh, spend a little bit uh, of our time uh, finishing up with Samson this week. And, uh, and we're going to finish up with Samson where we left off with Samson last time. He was the leader of Israel for 20 years. And last episode, we saw him as an angry young person. He was reaching out and trying to find companionship. He was trying to find purpose. He was trying to find hope. And, and he was going about it in all of the wrong ways, and he was damaging everyone around him. And now we see that he has led Israel for 20 years. And we are going to see that this has continued to not go well for him. And the, and the story starts off in this last part of Samson's story with a weird kind of Paul Bunyan story. If we can go to the next slide, please. Um, so, he led the, so he led Israel for 20 years in the day of, days of the Philistines, okay? And then we have this weird Paul Bunyan story where Samson, if we can go to the next one, please, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in to spend the night with her. Now, this is a sign that things are not going well for Samson, okay? Um, obviously, uh, going to see a sex worker is, is not good. You're looking for that in places that you ought not to. But narratively within the Bible, anytime someone goes and sees a prostitute, they are in trouble, okay? There is something wrong in their heart and in their soul, and they are in danger of ruining themselves and everyone around them. If we go to the next story... Um, we see this, we saw this slide last week, and I didn't really talk about Judah and Tamar that much. Tamar is in the genealogy of Jesus. She had been married to two of Judah's sons. 
so she was married to one son, and then God said, uh, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, is what the Bible says, and just God struck him dead. And, and the custom was, if, if you were married to someone and they died, then, you were, then the woman was supposed to marry the brother to continue on the line. So, so Judah's next son, Onan, goes, and, and, and he marries Tamar, but he doesn't fulfill his duties either, and God strikes him dead, and then Judah is left with no sons, okay? Uh, he's got one son, but he's super young, and he's like, you just go back to your uh, family, and we'll take care of you later. And... Then Judah promptly forgets about Tamar, and later he goes and he goes and he tries to see a prostitute. And we see in the story the narrative intention of it is Judah is lost. There is something in him that is way broken. He is looking for companionship, and he is looking for for intimacy, and he is looking for uh, partnership in all of the wrong places and in all of the wrong ways. And whenever you see this in the Bible, you need to know that we are residing in a very foolish place. And we see this in Samson as well. So if we can go back one. So Samson saw a prostitute in Gaza. He went in to spend the night with her, and the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night by the city gate. This is Samson is in the exact same lost place when he goes to see a prostitute because he just doesn't go and see a prostitute. He goes to see a prostitute in Gaza. So Gaza at the time was the stronghold of the Philistines. It was the place where they were strongest. And so Samson being a famous murderer of Philistines, it is very dangerous for him to be in Gaza at all, let alone going there to look for this kind of intimacy. There is something broken with Samson in this story. And there's something that we can recognize here, because I've been doing pastoral ministry for almost 20 years. I've, been, I've seen lots of people who are caught up in uh, sexual sin. And almost always, their sexual sin doesn't have anything to do with sex. It has everything to do with pain. And it has everything to do with not being able to live the way that they are currently living any longer. And so when Samson is going to Gaza to see a prostitute, he is trying to destroy his life and throw a grenade into it. And the reality is that's what I've seen with most people in my world who have been touched in the same way, who have, who have gone down similar paths. It's less to, to do with the person or the act or the event. It's a way of being, my life is so unsustainable the way that it is, that, and I want to destroy the whole thing. And that's where Samson is right now. He's undertaking incredibly risky behavior. He's undertaking inc incredibly dangerous behavior for him and everyone around him because he is so broken and so lost that he can't figure out any way to live anymore, so why not do the riskiest thing I can think of to do, and I might die in the process of doing it. And he almost does. That, so they made the move, and they were, like, were going to lay in wait for him all night at the city gate, but they made no move during the night saying, at dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only to the middle of the night, so he wakes up in the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the city gate, together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So Hebron from Gaza, about 78 kilometers. So 
again, we need to talk about the fact that Samson, while being evil, also does some things that are just objectively awesome. And he grabs the city gates, leaving this town defenseless, and carries them 78 kilometers to Hebron. That would be like picking up the gate out there that we used to use to block off the parking lot, putting it on your shoulders, and just carrying it to Wobbaman for fun. Right? This is the kind of story that we're engaging in. But this is also the kind of behavior that Samson is engaged in right now. Samson is lost, and he is in pain, and he is trying to blow up his life, and that is going to add and make some, give some context to the story that we're going to see next with Delilah. So if we can go forward and then... So sometime later, he fell in love with a, valley, uh, with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, this is interesting. We've seen and heard of Samson being involved with three women in his story so far. This is the first time we get a name. And it's interesting. The first two women were Philistine women. Um, Delilah is a Hebrew name. And the valley of Sorek was deep within Israelite territory. And I'm sorry if that kind of upsets the apple cart because you were taught by people your whole life that like Samson, Delilah was a Philistine and that was the big deal that Samson, like this is a classic youth pastor trope from like time immemorial. They'd be like, see, don't date people who aren't Christians because look what happened to Samson, right? Um, I'm sorry, your youth pastor may not have read the Bible as much as you think that they did. Um, I know, it sounds harsh, but it's true. Uh, and, but, so, but he meets this woman, and he loves her. This is the first time we hear of him loving a woman, and she has a name, and he meets Delilah. And, and so there is something that is real that is happening in Samson with this woman. But the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, which makes this betrayal worse, right? They didn't go to one of their own people, they went to an Israelite and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So uh, if you're trying to wonder how much 1,100 shekels of silver, the writer of Judges is very convenient. In the very next chapter, there's someone who is hired to work at someone's house and they're given a yearly salary of 10 shekels a year. So they offer her 1,100 years of wages for this. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, this happens, she does this, and Samson responds. Samson answered her with a lie, because that's what Samson does. And probably wise for Samson at this point in time, right? So he responds with a lie, and he says, If anyone ties me with seven, seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them, with men hidden in the room. She called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of his string snaps when it comes close to a flame, so the secret of his strength was not discovered. Now, fool me once, shame on you, right? Samson was very wise and shrewd in doing this and discovering what is going on with 
uh, Delilah and understanding uh, what the situation is. Because he told her, this is what will make me lose my strength. And then she did it and said, the Philistines are on you. So if you're a person with any level of cognitive awareness, you should have, like, maybe I ought to be concerned, right? Maybe I'm not going to, like, keep hanging out with you, Delilah. I think we might be done in our relationship. It's not you, it's me. And the fact that you're trying to murder me. Uh, but Samson doesn't do any of those wise things. What Samson does is he goes back and he meets with Delilah again. And she says, what is the secret of your strength? And he lies again. He says, if you have seven new ropes that have never been tied into anything and you tie me up with those, then my strength will be lost. And then Delilah is given seven new ropes, ties him up with them. Says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He snaps the ropes, saves himself, and away we go. Now, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And that would be interesting if Samson had then been like, you know what, this second time, that's too much. You've tried to kill me twice now, I'm out. Like, this is definitely a red flag in our relationship, that when I tell you the most dangerous thing to me, and, like, if you told a future partner that you were allergic to shellfish and they just kept trying to sneak you shellfish, right, like, that is a red flag, right? Like, that is a, like, I think I'm going to mark up your online dating profile that, like, I love his dog, but keeps trying to feed me shellfish. Uh, so, um, but it doesn't stop the second time. Samson goes back a third time. And a third time she says, what is the secret of your great strength? And a third time he tells a lie and says, if you take the seven strands of my hair, Samson's hair has been braided into seven strands, if you tie them together and you pin them to a wall, then my strength will be lost. And, I, spoiler alert, shocker, that's what she does. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Samson sets himself free and breaks out again. And again, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, shame on... Shame on the the ridiculous system that we all happen to be engaged with? I don't... Because this is the strange thing and what we have to come to terms with. All of us are sitting here in the cool light of day, hindsight being 2020, looking at Samson's behavior and we're judging him because we're saying, how can you be this dumb, Samson? How can you be this dumb to keep doing the same foolish thing over and over and over again? But we know that Samson's not foolish. Remember the 300 fox burning incident, right? That's a person with planning. That's a person with forethought. That is a person who is able to catch 300 foxes, right? Like, that is not a foolish person. So what is Samson doing that he keeps ending up in this place again and again and again? There's something deeper happening in him. He is in deep, deep pain. 
There is a connection with Delilah that he thinks will save him. There is a connection with Delilah that he believes will make him whole. And even though it, it almost kills him so many times, he keeps going back. Because maybe this time, maybe this time I'll feel different. I'll feel the thing I'm supposed to feel. And if we're honest with ourselves, there is something that is damaging to us that we keep going back to over and over again, expecting it to fill us, and it doesn't. And it hurts us, and it hurts the people around us. And we all have different degrees of it, but there is something that we go back to that we should know I should know by now that this thing is going to hurt me. I should know by now that this thing is, that's what's happened every single time, is that I go near this thing and it destroys me. I should know by now. Why do I keep going back to it? But like Proverbs says, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly, and I just keep going back to it over and over and over again, knowing it's not going to satisfy, knowing it's not going to make me whole, but we do it because we're in deep, deep pain and we don't know how to get it repaired. And that's where Samson is at. So I hope after three weeks with Samson, you don't think that because I'm calling this a tragedy, because we're acknowledging that Samson is way wrong in so many of the ways that he is approaching the world, I hope you don't think for a second that I don't have love for Samson because I do. And so should you. Samson's story is a tragedy and there is so much broken and wrong with him. But Samson is me, and Samson is you, and we can love people even while they're dangerous, because we were loved while we were dangerous as well. So this doesn't end there, because Samson finally does, if we can go to the next one, she, say, she says to him, I love, uh, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it, and he told her all his heart. And said, my hair has never been shorn since birth, and if you shave my hair, I will be as weak as any other man. And as we have seen already three times, when Samson lays his head in her lap and goes to sleep, she has a razor brought to her, and she shaves his head, and he is as weak as any other man. And he is tied, and he is bound by the Philistines. Can we go to the next one? He awoke from his sleep, thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they took him to Gaza. And binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. And this is where Samson is. Samson wanted to blow up his life, and this is what blowing up his life looks like. And some of you have known what it is like to blow up your life, and this is what it looks like. 
And the story continues as he's working basically as an oxen that the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring up Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them, presumably having his eyes gouged out, he's now stumbling around, lost, and this is amusing to them. But it's fascinating, as much as they gouged out his eyes, because that is a thing in the ancient world that you did to your enemies who were powerful, uh, it prevented them from being a king, and it was the way that you would treat a leader if you, uh, an enemy leader if you caught him. Isn't it fascinating that Samson, who has been blind his whole life in so many ways, blind to who he is and why he's here, blind to the situation around him and how to get the affection and the longing that he wants, blind to the things that are going to destroy and kill him and damage everyone around him, that now, in addition to being metaphorically blind, he is literally physically blind. And in this moment, he stumbles around, and they laugh at him. If we go to the next one. And Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please. God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And there's a temptation in this moment to be like, this is Samson's redemption moment, right? He cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord, and God gives him his strength. And there's an element of truth in that. He does cry out to the Lord. But Samson has always cried out to the Lord when he's about to do some violence. That's the thing that Samson does. And we get a clue to Samson's real heart right here because he is not doing this and saying, God, give me strength once more so I can demonstrate how powerful you are compared to their God, Dagon. God, give me my strength back so I can, I can free your people from their oppressors. What does he say? Give me strength back so I can have revenge. Even in this moment, Samson is still lost. Samson is still blind. And Samson, to the Philistines, is still dangerous. So then Samson reached towards the two central pillars upon which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and the people in it. And thus he killed many more while he died than while he lived. And that's a pretty high body count, right? We know of at least 30 from the first story where he had to steal armor to pay off a bad bet that he'd made. We know of at least 1,000 that he killed with the jawbone of a donkey and then wrote a cute little poem about it. However many he killed in the burning of the crops via actual fire and starvation. His wife original Philistine wife and father-in-law who were set fire to by the Philistines because of what Samson did. He killed more when he died than when he lived. And there's a temptation that we've grown up with to say like, oh, well, that doesn't matter as if God doesn't care about Philistines either. But what we see in the Bible is that God cares about Philistines and he cares about Babylonians, and he cares about 
uh, Assyrians and residents of Nineveh, and he also cares about cattle. And, and so God is not pleased with more death when he is dead than when he is alive. And we know this as well because the story doesn't change from here on in. Samson's sacrifice does not change the fortunes of the people of Israel. If you keep going in the book of Judges, it gets worse, actually. And you're like, how can it get worse? Trust me. Um, it gets worse. And Samson is laid there. And if this was the end of Samson's story, it would be a tragedy, right? What has Samson done? He's been given all of the gifts in the world. He wasn't taught what to do. He created and continued a cycle of violence. He lost his way, and in the years he was supposed to be leading and being an elder, he instead devoted that to trying to destroy his own life, and then in the end dies as a suicide terrorist. By any measure, Samson's story is a tragedy. If it ended there. And we need to acknowledge that if this is where stories end, just in death, that all stories are tragedies, that your story is a tragedy, that my story is a tragedy. Oh, Ethan Hawke plays a pastor who feels unappreciated and then he dies. That story's a tragedy. The story of humanity being created in God's image, being given the earth to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and take care of it, and what we spend our time doing is destroying ourselves, destroying each other, and destroying the planet that God gave us? If this is where it ends, then the story is a tragedy, and all stories are tragedies. Humanity's story, if it only ends in ashes to ashes, dust to dust, then the story is a tragedy. But the story doesn't end there, does it? And the reason why we know that the story doesn't ever end there is because Jesus has the last word in every story. So your story might be a tragedy, my story might be a tragedy, Samson's story might be a tragedy, but Jesus' story is not a tragedy. And Jesus' story draws in all of our stories into his. So Samson's story gets drawn into Jesus, and your story gets drawn into Jesus. All of humanity's stories get drawn into Jesus. And Jesus' story is not a tragedy. Jesus' story is a victory. And when our stories get drawn into Jesus' stories, they are no longer tragedies, they are fairy tales. One of my favorite theologians uh, and Christian thinkers was Frederick Buechner. He, he passed away old and full of years last Monday. And one of the things he said that, that, that changed me the most was that the gospel is a tragedy and a comedy and a fairy tale. You've heard me talk about this before. The gospel of Jesus is a tragedy because it tells us that you're wrong, that you're bad, that you're worse 
probably even than you think you are. And left, left to your own devices, you are going to be dangerous to yourself and you're going to be dangerous to other people. That's the bad news. The good news, though, is that you are loved exactly as you are. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the fairy tale is that even as we fumble through the world with all of our sin and all of our destruction and trying to destroy our own lives and fumbling and missing the mark and all of that, even in the midst of that, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the fairy tale. So, and we're going to watch how it happens. So, Hebrews 11 is fascinating. So, no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I think uh, we can all guess. A lot of people think it was Paul. They're wrong. Uh, I think it was. Um, I think it was Apollos. That's the simple one. But we don't really know, and people can continue to have wrong opinions that aren't Apollos. But um, so, but in. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, the writer outlines this huge systemic, systematic theology, starting with the Torah that was given to Israelites in the beginning, and then expanding that and saying, Jesus fulfills this, Jesus fulfills this, Jesus fulfills this in every single way. And then, in Hebrews 11, he gives, God inspires through the writer of Hebrews, uh, almost uh, definitely Apollos, um, God inspires through the writer of Hebrews the most amazing exposition on faith that we see anywhere in literature. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that faith is the, assur the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. And he continues to say that faith is the thing that, that, that preserves us and it is the thing that enables us to do what God has called us to do. Hebrews 11 is, if you're not inspired by Hebrews 11, then there is something wrong with you. Because what he does is like he tells stories. And the writer of Hebrews, Apollos, for all of these people, he just starts to tell stories of, of Israelite history. And he plays the hits. He starts with, by faith, Abraham and Sarah had a child, even though that they were long past the age when they were supposed to be having children. By faith, they, Abraham uh, gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac then blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau. And he starts rolling through all of these names. By faith, Jacob went to Egypt with Joshua. Joshua survived by faith in Egypt, living in a, in, in a, in a foreign land. By faith, even though his people were trapped in Israelite, he brought Jacob's bones back to the promised land, trusting that they would go back there someday. And he continues to go through all of these people. He goes through Moses' mother. By faith, Moses' mother did not follow the Egyptian rule, but instead kept her son and kept him alive. By faith, Moses didn't live in the Pharaoh's house as he could have done. Instead, he went out and he saved the people of Israel. By faith, the people of Israel walked through the Red Sea and, and, and God opened it up and then it fell back in on the Egyptians. By faith, God did all these things. By faith, they walked around the city of Jericho until the walls fell down. By faith, all of this happens. By faith, uh, by faith, Rahab, who lived in the city of Jacob, changed her life from being a, a, a prostitute and living in a world that was uh, theological and social 
catastrophe, and she changed her life and ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. By faith, all of those things happen. And what more shall I say, the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Excuse me? Who? I get Apollos. Everyone else that you've included in this story of faith. I'm with you on Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, Joshua, all these people. We're Samson? Do you have you read the book of Judges, Apollos? Do you know what happens in that story? Like Samson, fox burning guy. We're right? So we're forced in this moment to confront the reality that either the writer of Hebrews doesn't know what they're talking about, or the even more frightening reality that he does know exactly what he's talking about. Because with all of these people, including Samuel and all the prophets, Samson is included in that list. And none of these people deserve to be in that list, right? None of the people in the book of Judges deserve to be in this list. Gideon, Gideon has the great story at the beginning with the fleece. We all love that story. But at the end of the story, and there's this great hinge moment in Gideon's story where it's like, I'm going to be, they say, why don't you be king? And he says, like, I'm not going to be your king. Only, your, only God will be your king. And then he names his son, my father is king. And then he sets up a linen ephod. And you got to love the King James English because it becomes an idol to all of Israel. And in the King James English, it says, all Israel went thither a-whoring after it. That's the King James English. That's Gideon's story. Barak was such a coward that he just completely did not do what God had called him to do. So the guy that, that God sent Barak to take care of, who was the oppressor of the people of Israel at the time, he finally gets killed by a woman named Jael. That is a fascinating story, and I would love to tell you about it. It involves a prophetess, a home invasion, and a murder by tent peg. We don't have time. But Barak, so cowardly that he avoided that whole thing. Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter. And he gets in here? And we know all about Samson, don't we? We've spent the last three weeks living with Samson. Samson is a heavy guy to hang out with. And yet, Samson is going to... God, you're putting Samson in what we mostly call the hall of faith? God, you're putting Samson in your hall of fame? Baseball won't even put Barry Bonds in their hall of fame. And he did steroids, allegedly. Right? Instead, these are the examples that we have. And by all rights, God inspiring the writer of Hebrews, Samson's story should not be included in here. And yet, it is. And it's not because of anything that Samson has done. It's because Samson's story belongs to Jesus now. 
And when Samson's story gets drawn into Jesus' story, it is no longer a tragedy. It's now a fairy tale. And amazing and wonderful things can happen. And by the grace of God, Samson's story belongs to Jesus, and Jesus' stories always end well. Jesus' stories always end in resurrection and reconciliation and redemption. That is how Jesus' stories end. So no matter what accumulation of evil you have done to this point in your life, no matter how high the body count is, killing more people in death than they did in life, when the story belongs to Jesus, it is changed, and it ends not in tragedy and ashes to ashes and dust to dust, but it ends in reconciliation and redemption and most of all, resurrection. Because the stories look bleak, we gotta be honest. The story looks bleak. Samson dies as a terrorist, suicide, taking down thousands of thousands of people with him. The stories look bleak. Jesus' story ends murdered by a partnership of the religious authorities and a state laid in a borrowed tomb. But we all know that that's not how the story ends, is it? So if we're going to tell all of Samson's story, as much as it's a tragedy, we need to tell that it is a fairy tale as well. And we need to acknowledge that when he appears in this moment, commended for his faith, that every part of Samson has been healed in Jesus. Everything about him. The young child, the lost child who was not told who he was and why he was here, that's, he's finally received all of that guidance and assurance that he should have gotten in Jesus. The angry young person who is longing for affection and affirmation and inclusion, he is included in every single way in that moment through what Jesus is giving him. The old and lost Samson who thinks that no one sees him, that no one notices him, that no one loves him, and who just wants to destroy his own life, Jesus is healing him and providing hope and health and reconciliation in ways that he never thought were possible. Samson, in this moment, is fully healed beyond what he could ever dream or expect. And this is important for us, because as much as I've said Jesus' story draws in other stories, it draws in all stories. The Bible's quite clear about this. All stories of humanity end in Jesus. We do not have a choice about whether or not we are going to be involved in Jesus' story or not. The choice we are given is when. And the beautiful and amazing part is that we can choose to join Jesus' story now. And all of the healing that is available in Jesus' story is available to us now. All of the 
resurrection that is available in Jesus' story is available to us now. All of the reconciliation that is available in Jesus' story is available to us now. All of the redemption that is available in Jesus' story is available to us now. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a healing moment. So let's pray together. God, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful that your story ends well and that all stories end well because of you. And we ask that is that at this moment you make us aware of those parts in our stories that need healing. That you make us aware of the hurt that we're carrying that we keep trying to patch over with different kinds of sin and different kinds of quick fixes and that you would give us the courage to acknowledge that that is only going to be healed in you. We ask that at this moment that you would bring to mind all of the ways that we are reaching out to the world and failing and getting what we want because the thing that we're looking for is only ever going to be found in you. And I pray that at this moment you would bring those to mind and you would give us the courage and the conviction to come and to give them to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a healing Sunday. There are going to be people coming forward uh, uh, who are able here to pray with you. And we would invite you to come. If you're sitting here this moment saying... If it ends this way, then my story's a tragedy. I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer because it does not need to be that way. Because I know with everything in my heart that all stories end well in Jesus. Because the way that Jesus' story ends is that the dwelling place of God comes with men and God says to all humanity, look, I'm making all things new. So if you need to be made new in your body from sickness, in your brain from lies that you've believed about yourself, in your heart from wounds that other people have done to you, we would invite you to come forward and we will pray for you. And it might not change overnight, but I can promise you that your story is being drawn and absorbed into Jesus' story. And in Jesus, your story will end 